Chapter Nine of *The House of the Arrow* by A. E. W. Mason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine: The Secret. The garden chairs were already set out upon a lawn towards the farther end of the garden, in the shadow of the great trees. Hanaud led the way towards them. We shall be in the cool here, and with no one to overhear us but the birds, he said, and he patted and arranged the cushions in a deep armchair of basket-work for Anne Upcott. Jim Frobisher was reminded again of the solicitude of a doctor with an invalid, and again the parallel jarred upon him. But he was getting a clearer insight into the character of this implacable being. The little courtesies and attentions were not assumed. They were natural, but they would not hinder him for a moment in his pursuit. He would arrange the cushions with the swift, deft hands of a nurse. Yes, but he would slip the handcuffs on the wrists of his invalid a moment afterwards, no less deftly and swiftly, if thus his duty prompted him there he said now mademoiselle you are comfortable for me i am permitted i shall smoke he turned round to ask for permission of betty who with jim had followed into the garden behind him of course she answered and coming forward she sat down in another of the chairs hanaud pulled out of a pocket a bright blue bundle of thin black cigarettes and lit one then he sat in a chair close to the two girls jim frobisher stood behind hanaud the lawn was dappled with sunlight and cool shadows. The blackbird and the thrush were calling from bough and bush, the garden was riotous with roses, and the air sweet with their perfume. It was a strange setting for the eerie story which Anne Upcott had to tell of her adventures in the darkness and silence of a night, but the very contrast seemed to make the story still more vivid. I did not go to Monsieur de Poyac's ball on the night of April the 27th, she began, and Jim started, so that Hanaud raised his hand to prevent him interrupting. He had not given a thought to where Anne Upcott had been upon that night. To Hanaud, however, the statement brought no surprise. You were not well? he asked. It wasn't that, Anne replied, but Betty and I had, I won't say a rule, but a sort of working arrangement, which I think had been in practice ever since I came to the Maison Grenelle. We didn't encroach upon each other's independence. The girls had recognized from their first coming together that privacy was the very salt of companionship. Each had a sanctuary in her own sitting-room i don't think betty has ever been in mine i only once or twice in hers said anne we had each our own friends we didn't pester each other with questions as to where we had been and with whom in a word we weren't all the time shadows upon each other's heels a wise rule mademoiselle hanaud agreed cordially a good many households are split from roof to cellar by the absence of just such a rule the Pouillacs, then, were Mademoiselle Betty's friends? Yes. As soon as Betty had gone, Anne resumed, I told Gaston that he must turn off the lights and go to bed whenever he liked, and I went upstairs to my own sitting-room, which is next to my bedroom. You can see the windows from here. There. They were in a group facing the back of the only house across the garden. To the right of the hall stretched the line of shuttered windows, with Betty's bedroom just above and pointed to the wing on the left of the hall and towards the road i see you are above the library mademoiselle said hanaud yes i had a letter to write and continued and suddenly faltered 
she had come upon some obstacle in the telling of her story which she had forgotten when she had uttered her cry in the library she gasped oh she murmured and again oh in a low voice she glanced anxiously at betty but she got no help from her at all betty was leaning forward with her elbows upon her knees and her eyes on the grass at her feet and apparently miles away in thought yes mademoiselle hanno asked smoothly it was an important letter anne went on again choosing her words warily much as yesterday at one moment in her interrogatory betty herself had done concealing something too just as betty had done i had promised faithfully to write it but the address was downstairs in betty's room it was the address of a doctor and having said that it seemed that she had cleared her obstacle for she went on in a more easy and natural tone you know what it is monsieur Hanot. i had been playing tennis all the afternoon i was pleasantly tired there was a letter to be written with a good deal of care and the address was all the way downstairs i said to myself that i would think out the terms of my letter first and here jim frobisher who had been shifting impatiently from one foot to the other broke in upon the narrative but what was this letter about and to what doctor he asked hanaud swung round almost angrily oh please he cried these things will all come to light of themselves in their due order if we leave them alone and keep them in our memories let mademoiselle tell her story in her own way and he was back at anne upcott again in a flash yes mademoiselle you determined to think out the tenor of your letter a hint of a smile glimmered upon the girl's face for a second but it was an excuse really an excuse to sit down in my big armchair stretch out my legs and do nothing at all you can guess what happened hanaud smiled and nodded you fell fast asleep conscience does not keep young people who are healthy and tired awake he said no but it wakes up with them anne returned and upbraids at once bitterly i woke up rather chilly as people do who have gone to sleep in their chairs i was wearing a little thin frock of pale blue tulle oh a featherweight of a frock yes i was cold and my conscience was saying bah big lazy one and your letter where is it in a moment i was standing up and the next i was out of the room on the landing and i was still half dazed with sleep i closed my door behind me it was just chance that i did it the lights were all out on the staircase and in the hall below the curtains were drawn across the windows there was no moon that night i was in a darkness so complete that i could not see the glimmer of my hand when i raised it close before my face hanaud let the end of his cigarette drop at his feet betty had raised her face and was staring at anne with her mouth parted for all of them the garden had disappeared with its sunlight and its roses and its singing birds they were upon that staircase with anne upcott in the black night the swift changes of colour in her cheeks and of expression in her eyes the nervous vividness of her compelled them to follow with her yes mademoiselle said hanaud quietly the darkness didn't matter to me she went on with an amazement at her own fearlessness now that she knew the after-history of that evening i am afraid now i wasn't then and jim remembered how the night before in the garden her eyes had shifted from this dark spot to that in search of an intruder 
certainly she was afraid now her hands were clenched tight upon the arms of her chair her lips shook i knew every tread of the stairs my hand was on the balustrade there was no sound it never occurred to me that any one was awake except myself i did not even turn on the light in the hall by the switch at the bottom of the stairs i knew that there was a switch just inside the door of betty's room and that was enough i think too that i didn't want to rouse anybody at the foot of the stairs i turned right like a soldier exactly opposite to me across the hall was the door of betty's room i crossed the hall with my hands out in front of me and betty as though she herself were crossing the hall suddenly thrust both her hands out in front of her yes one would have to do that she said slowly in the dark with nothing but space in front of one yes and then she smiled as she saw that hanaud's eyes were watching her curiously don't you think so monsieur hanaud no doubt said he but let us not interrupt mademoiselle i touched the wall first and resumed just at the angle of the corridor and the hall the corridor with the windows on to the courtyard on the one side and the doors of the receptions on the other hanaud asked yes were the curtains drawn across all those windows too mademoiselle yes there was not a glimmer of light anywhere i felt my way along the wall to my right that is in the hall of course not the corridor until my hands slipped off the surface and touched nothing i had reached the embrasure of the doorway i felt for the doorknob turned it and entered the room the light switch was in the wall at the side of the door close to my left hand i snapped it down i think that i was still half asleep when i turned the light on in the treasure room as we called it but the next moment i was wide awake oh i've never been more wide awake in my life my fingers indeed were hardly off the switch after turning the light on before they were back again at turning the light off but this time i eased the switch up very carefully so that there should be no snap no not the tiniest sound to betray me there was so short an interval between the two movements of my hand that i had just time to notice the clock on the top of the marquetry cabinet in the middle of the wall opposite to me and then once more i stood in darkness but stock still and holding my breath a little frightened yes no doubt a little frightened but more astonished than frightened for in the inner wall of the room at the other end close by the window there and she pointed to the second of those shuttered windows which stared so blankly on the garden the door which was always locked since simon harlow's death stood open and a bright light burned beyond betty harlow uttered a little cry that door she exclaimed now at last really troubled it stood open how can that have been hanaud shifted his position in his chair and asked her a question on which side of the door was the key mademoiselle on madame's if the key was in the lock at all oh you don't remember whether it was no said betty of course both anne and i were in and out of madame's bedroom when she was ill but there was a dressing-room between the bedroom and the communicating door of my room so that we should not have noticed to be sure hanaud agreed the dressing-room in which the nurse might have slept and did when madame had a seizure do you remember whether the communicating door was still open or unlocked on the next morning 
betty frowned and reflected and shook her head i cannot remember we were all in great trouble there was so much to do i did not notice no indeed why should you said hanaud he turned back to anne before you go on with this curious story mademoiselle tell me this was the light beyond the open door a light in the dressing-room or in the room beyond the dressing-room madame harlow's bedroom or didn't you notice in the far room i think anne answered confidently there would have been more light in the treasure-room otherwise the treasure-room is long no doubt but where i stood i was completely in darkness there was only this panel of yellow light in the open doorway it lay in a band straight across the carpet and it lit up the sedan chair opposite the doorway until it all glistened like silver oh there is a sedan chair in the museum said hanaud lightly it will be interesting to see so the light mademoiselle came from the far room the light and and the voices said anne with a quaver in her throat voices cried hanaud he sat up straight in his chair whilst betty harlow went as white as a ghost voices what is this did you recognize those voices one madame's there was no mistaking it it was loud and violent for a moment then it went off into a mumble of groans the other voice only spoke once and very few words and very clearly but it spoke in a whisper there was too a sound of movements movements said hanaud sharply and with his voice his face seemed to sharpen too here's a word which does not help us much a procession moves so does the chair if i push it so does my hand if i cover a mouth and stop a cry is it that sort of movement you mean mademoiselle under the stern insistence of his question anne upcott suddenly weakened oh i am afraid so she said with a loud cry and she clapped her hands to her face i never understood until this morning when you spoke of how the arrow might be used oh i shall never forgive myself i stood in the darkness a few yards away no more i stood quite still and listened and just beyond the lighted doorway madame was being killed she drew her hands from her face and beat upon her knees with her clenched fists in a frenzy yes i believe that now madame cried in the hoarse harsh voice we knew stripped ah huh? stripped to the skin and she laughed wildly and then came the sound as though yes it might have been that as though she were forced down and held and madame's voice died to a mumble and then silence and then the other voice in a low clear whisper that will do now and all the while i stood in the darkness oh what did you do after that clear whisper reached your ears anno commanded take your hands from your face if you please and let me hear anne upcott obeyed him she flung her head back with the tears streaming down her face i turned she whispered i went out of the room i closed the door behind me oh ever so gently i fled 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 where to up the stairs to my room and you rang no bell you roused no one you fled to your room you hid your head under the bedclothes like a child come come mademoiselle hanaud broke off his savage irony to ask and whose voice did you think it was that whispered so clearly that will do now the strangers you spoke of in the library this morning 
no monsieur and replied i could not tell with a whisper one voice is like another but you must have given that voice an owner to run away and hide no one would do that i thought it was jean baudin and hanaud sat back in his chair again gazing at the girl with a look in which there was as much horror as incredulity jim frobisher stood behind him ashamed of his very race could there be a more transparent subterfuge if she thought that the nurse jean baudin was in the bedroom why did she turn and fly come mademoiselle said hanaud his voice had suddenly become gentle almost pleading you will not make me believe that Anne Upcott turned with a helpless gesture towards Betty. "'You see?' she said. "'Yes,' Betty answered. She sat in doubt for a second or two, and then sprang to her feet. "'Wait,' she said, and before anyone could have stopped her, she was skimming halfway across the garden to the house. Jim Frobisher wondered whether Hanaud had meant to stop her, and then had given up the idea as quite out of the question. Certainly he had made some small quick movement, and even now he watched Betty's flight across the broad lawn between the roses with an inscrutable queer look. "'To run like that,' he said to Frobisher, "'with a boy's nimbleness and a girl's grace. It is pretty, eh? The long slim legs that twinkle, the body that floats.' and Betty ran up the stone steps into the house. There was a tension in Hanaud's attitude with which his light words did not agree, and he watched the blank windows of the house with expectancy. Betty, however, was hardly a minute upon her errand. She reappeared upon the steps with the largest envelope in her hand, and quickly rejoined the group. "'Monsieur, we have tried to keep this back from you,' she said, without bitterness, but with a deep regret." i yesterday and to-day just as we have tried for many years to keep it from all dijon but there is no help for it now she opened the envelope and taking out a cabinet photograph handed it to hanaud this is the portrait of madame my aunt at the time of her marriage with my uncle it was the three-quarter length portrait of a woman slender with the straight carriage of youth in whose face a look of character had replaced youth's prettiness it was a face made spiritual by suffering the eyes shadowed and wistful the mouth tender and conveying even in the hard medium of a photograph some whimsical sense of humour it made jim frobisher gazing over hanaud's shoulder exclaim not she was beautiful but i would like to have known her yes a companion hanaud added betty took a second photograph from the envelope but this monsieur is the same lady a year ago. The second photograph had been taken at Monte Carlo, and it was difficult to believe that it was of the same woman. So tragic a change had taken place within those ten years. Hanaud held the portraits side by side. The grace, the suggestion of humour had all gone. The figure had grown broad, the features coarse and heavy, the cheeks had flattened, the lips were pendulous, and there was nothing but violence in the eyes. It was a dreadful picture of collapse. It is best to be precise, mademoiselle, said Hanaud gently, though these photographs tell their unhappy story clearly enough. Madame Harlow, during the past years of her life, drank. 
since my uncle's death betty explained her life as very likely you know already had been rather miserable and lonely before she married him but she had a dream then on which to live after simon harlow died however and she ended her explanation with a gesture yes hanaud replied of course mademoiselle we have known monsieur frobisher and i ever since we came into this affair that there was some secret we knew it before your reticence of yesterday or mademoiselle upcott's of to-day Wabersky must have known of something which you would not care to have exposed before he threatened your lawyers in london or brought his charges against you yes he knew and the doctors and the servants of course who were very loyal we did our best to keep our secret but we could never be sure that we had succeeded a friendly smile broadened hanaud's face well we can make sure now and here he said and both the girls and jim stared at him how they exclaimed in an incredulous voice hanaud beamed he held them in suspense he spread out his hands the artist as he would have said the mountebank as jim frobisher would have expressed it had got the upper hand in him and prepared his effect by answering me one simple question he said have either of you two ladies received an anonymous letter upon the subject the test took them all by surprise yet each one of them recognized immediately that they could hardly have a better all the secrets of the town have been exploited at one time or another by this unknown person or group of persons all the secrets that is except this one of mrs harlow's degradation for betty answered no i never received one nor i added anne then your secret is all your secret still said hanaud for how long now betty asked quickly and hanaud did not answer a word he could make no promise without being false to what he had called his creed it is a pity said betty wistfully we have striven so hard anne and i and she gave to the two men a glimpse of the life the two girls had led in the maison Genelle. we could do very little we had neither of us any authority we were both of us dependent upon madame's generosity and though no one could have been kinder when when madame was herself she was not easy when she had uh, the attacks there was too much difference in age between us and her for us really to do anything but keep guard she would not brook interference she drank alone in her bedroom she grew violent and threatening if anyone interfered she would turn them all into the street if she needed any help she could ring for the nurse as indeed she sometimes though rarely did it was a dreadful and wearing life as betty harlow described it for the two young sentinels we were utterly in despair betty continued for madame of course was really ill with her heart and we always feared some tragedy would happen this letter which anne was to write when i was at monsieur de pouillac's ball seemed our one chance it was to a doctor in england he called himself a doctor at all events who advertised that he had a certain remedy which could be given without the patient's knowledge in her food and drink oh i had no faith in it but we had to try it hanaud looked round at frobisher triumphantly what did i say to you monsieur frobisher when you wanted to ask a question about this letter 
you see these things disclose themselves in their due order if you leave them alone the triumph went out of his voice he rose to his feet and bowing to betty with an unaffected stateliness and respect he handed her back the photographs mademoiselle i am very sorry he said it is clear that you and your friend have lived amongst difficulties which we did not suspect and for the secret i shall do what i can jim quite forgave him the snub which had been administered to him for the excellence of his manner towards betty he had a hope even that now he would forswear his creed so that the secret might still be kept and the young sentinels receive their reward for their close watch but hanaud sat down again in his chair and once more turned towards anne upcott he meant to go on then he would not leave well alone jim was all the more disappointed because he could not but realize that the case was more and more clearly building itself from something unsubstantial into something solid from a conjecture to an argument this case against someone. End of chapter 9